Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at PureMTGO.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MTGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 373rd episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your recovered from the Delta host, Mason, joined by my perfectly healthy host, co-host Abe. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to hear it. We're back. Uh, I had the Delta variant of COVID, and we took a week off. Uh, and so that kind of happened. We're here. We're celebrating the eight-year anniversary of CC, which was three days ago at the time of this recording which is uh, pretty exciting, a pretty storied history. Abe, I didn't tell you about this part beforehand. I want to get your live reaction. So now that, you know, did you did you know some of our most honored guests on CC, some of the people we've had? Have you, do you know, like, the pedigree? Have this ever been talked about? Um, I think we've talked about it before. I do remember um, John Stern. And, Former co-host of the show. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and Seth Manfield were on the show, but I don't think I could tell you every every that's, CC host or co-host. That's fine. I I just wanted to bring up that we've had some crazy guests over the course of CC, including John Finkel and Paula Vito Domaderosa. Yeah, if you're watching the live version, you get to see Abe's response, but I knew Abe <laughs> no, didn't know. No, <laughs> yeah. How, how deep do you have to go for the Finkel episode? I love uh, it. I think it's like episode four of CC. So the, here's the thing. We're going to have a little CC history lesson, Abe. The thing to remember about CC is that it came out back when there were not a lot of competitive constructed magic podcasts around. And LR was really just starting to take off. Like LR is about, I think, nine or ten years old at this point. So they're like a year-ish older than us. And Spencer really wanted that for constructed and to help players and do stuff. And so... Um, for that to happen, you know, you get to create a podcast, and there just wasn't anything like it at the time. So it was very easy to get guests. Like, I believe Jerry was supposed to guess, but then got sick or something like that. So his his thing fell through and just never got on schedule. But the CC has had a lot of very interesting guests, including PV, who I believe has been on two episodes. One of them is actually in my time of being on the show. I believe it's like episode 164? Want to say something like that? So you can go listen to PV talk about. How come we don't ever have any guests, Mason? A because you and I are such great personalities. And listen, man. Okay, okay. Who do you want? Who do you want? You tell me. I'll get them. Right now on the show. Let's figure it out. Who do you right want? Right now on the spot. Yeah, it's telling me. Who do you want? Who I, do you want? There's just too many people. I couldn't. I couldn't on the spot. Yeah, but you could. Like, who would? Who would it be? Hane. I would want Hane. You want Hane? We, so we can get Hane. Uh, I know Hane. We can get Hane. We'll get Hane. I'll give you 20 episodes. Give me 20 episodes, and I'll get you 20 Hane. episodes to get Hane? That, that sounds totally reasonable. Yeah, it might be sooner. I'll by then. Yeah. Or it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Well, the <laughs> listeners won't forget. I, I've immortalized it now. We'll, we'll figure it out. I feel like Hane wasn't ever on the show before, but maybe he was. I think that's one of the things we've had a, a lot of guests. But yeah, CC's been around for a long time. It's a very storied history. Um, and it's really awesome to look forward to doing a bunch more episodes and helping out a bunch more players. It's definitely one of those weird things where CC is a kind of a stepping stone for a lot of players and like a journey of competitive magic for them. And a lot of ways, you know, um, 
there weren't a lot of shows that were focused on people who were playing more at the local level and more at like the state competition level, you know, and those sort of things honestly don't really even exist now to this day. And the thing closest to that, you know, to us is Grindcast with Capra, Apple and Lee. They're kind of the show closest to ours and that sort of thing. But even them, they're still, we're really focused on the SAG tour and stuff like that and motor results and the mana trader stuff now, which they're doing great work with not to get them wrong, but it is kind of nice. And I think it speaks a lot to the, message that spencer really had when he started the show of wanting to help players and help out new players and get that stepping stone that journey and i hope we can continue to do that and i hope that you know even if you feel like cc you you outgrow part of cc or whatever and you go on to bigger and better things we get it brian and jerry are great arena deck list you know you do your thing that's cool you listen to you know dominarius judgment we understand but we're really glad that we're able to help and kind of build on some of those foundational stuff because uh, it's something that's really, really hard to do. I've been doing a lot of coaching recently, and people just don't have that access to stuff, and we're we're glad that we can bring that to you. Yeah, I, I honestly, like, as far as all of the content I've ever made from my articles at Star City, and now, uh, you know, co-hosting the podcast with you, a big thing that's always fueled me is I want to make content for, like, you know, a, a version of me in the past when I was, like, you know, 16 or 17 and really getting into it deep with magic and like coming up and all these things that i could have learned to grow and improve and and just would have loved to hear and i have you know really enjoyed uh the privilege of being able to to do that here and i think that you know when when i when spencer told us that it was the eighth year anniversary i was like genuinely like wow that's such a long time like eight like literally me eight years ago is kind of the person i i make content for and so um you know, it's it's definitely awesome to be be out here doing something that I think legitimately is is great for the people it helps and is always a good uh, a good place to to refresh on some of the fundamentals and and I you know it's it's been great doing it with you, bud. Yeah, same. I I love doing it with you. And I can't wait to do more. I can't wait post you know all of this stuff where we get to really get on the grind and do that sort of ground floor thing. And, you know, there's kind of that resurgence of people who really want to do that sort of stuff. So, yeah, thank you so much, everyone, that's been with us. I'm, I know we have a couple people that have been there since the beginning. And we have a lot of different people from a lot of different eras when they joined the show. I mean, you don't have a show that lasts eight years without having, you know, kind of batches from, like, the Hinder Father days, you know, and now he's off at of play design to when Seth and John had a big insurgence in the show to, you know, Allie and me, that sort of area of taking over is pretty similar to now Abe. And so... We're happy to have you. Let's move on to the main show at this point, Abe. But first, we do need to talk about always improving. It's the point of the show. We've been doing it for eight years. How do you want to start us off this week, Abe? My always improving uh, picks us all up where I left off about, um, you know, kind of allowing myself to take a break and, and unlearn my habits and relearn good habits. In uh, Lately, I have been partaking in some chaos drafting at the lgs at whatever hours as possible i I have have a friend who's like his one day off a week um he's been going through the effort of organizing at least six of us um to get together and do you know just buy some packs or bring some packs we have i've got a lot of older sealed product that i've won over the days and been like yeah i don't know what what i really need out of the set i'll just save it for a christmas when people get together or something and so like you know we've had a lot of fun just cracking packs and and drafting but when i 
play these matches because we do we do a little historical team draft for those unfamiliar you open your six packs or you open your 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 six people open their three packs you do your draft but then you just play for all the cards in in the six people's packs and divide them up on the winning team so it's been nice to play more regularly for you know a little something on the line um and also to care a lot about um you know how i'm approaching the games on a tactical level um you know coming up with just finding myself in new situations and coming up with ways to to navigate through them and really uh you know getting back into the the rigors of playing in paper on some sort of routine uh, in a way that's really enjoyable so that's been my always improving yeah my always improving moment and it's great to hear yours by the way about team drafting that sort of stuff i wish you all played for some actual stakes but you know we would never bet on the outcome of a game of magic never. of course I would never put i would never bet on the outcome of the game. But if you were going to, it'd be cool to have good state, you know, good states. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, for, for my always improving moment, um, it really comes down to been working a lot with people in kind of a coaching role recently. I kind of, it never really stopped, but I never wasn't like publicly advertising it. But I kind of did that more in my local area um, as things kind of fired up again. And it's been going really, really well. Uh, I have a couple people that I've been coaching. I have one I'm going to meet up on Sunday with, actually, and have a conversation with in person. That's going to be the first time doing that. We're going to get launched. I know this person pretty well. And so that's exciting. And really working on that sort of thing and trying to improve at precisely talking to one person. Because I think I've gotten pretty good at the point of trying to talk broadly but make you feel like I'm talking about you thanks to the podcast, right? The podcast forces me to speak in broad terms. And sometimes I get to tell personal stories or anecdotes about somebody. And that's almost always relatable for someone else. Uh, but with these sort of things, it's stuff where like I need to hone in and do the exact thing with this person. So I think a great example of this was when it came actually time to do one of my first coaching sessions when starting this, uh, the player I was talking to, he's a super nice guy. And I was kind of like, so, hey, I, I kind of need you to tell me what you're wanting, what you're looking to do, and what you're looking to get out of this. And I might be able to help, but I kind of need to know where you're coming from. You know, the kind of the classic, like, you go to the doctor and they ask you, what's wrong? And the person told me some stuff, but it was I was like, I don't feel like this is actually what needs to be worked on. I think that maybe we're also overestimating our abilities, but I didn't need to, you know, I didn't say this out loud. It was like a theory yeah. I had running. And then... We had a, a long conversation. I kind of felt like that stuff was true. And then he wanted to do another session the next day. So we did another one the next day. And then this next one, he wanted to play and have me watch and then talk about stuff while we played. And what it basically came down to is I realized that this player was doing a really bad job at looking at cards outside of this their traditional sense. And so the example of this was there was a questing beast in play and we had a red cap melee. And the questing beast was really a problem. We had a lot of lands. But we never fired the red cat melee off on the questing beast, right? Even though we had a surplus of lands. And so having that moment to really kind of talk and break that down and explain like how, you know, we need to look at cards through multiple lenses and think about how they work in every context, et cetera, et cetera. And really being able to hyper-focus on that is a skill that I have not got to use a whole bunch um, in, that, in that sort of setting of helping someone. And specifically like they've paid me for their time or for my time to like help them. And I need to make sure I'm, you know, giving them max value. And I think it's been going really well. And it's a, a thing that's also really helpful for me because I think it's really hard to teach these things if you don't know them and getting better at articulating them, I think helps me get better at actualizing them in game. Cause they're at worst in the forefront of my mind where I've crystallized the thought of it more. And so that's been my always improving moment from the last week. Yeah, that's, 
great. I, I definitely feel like um, coaching is is something where I think a lot of people, especially players um, who've had like some amount of success or, or feel like they like want to start dabbling in coaching, that that is something that's really understated is the ability to go from oh well I have all this knowledge about a game and like what what to do in all these spots and like how to, I could teach that information that I have to like understanding someone else's problems and like where exactly in their process there's like breakdowns or what it is they don't get like that entire process is so much different and uh, I think it's really great that you know I I think you are really good at stuff like that just in general and I, I think it's really great that you're having a lot of uh, success with it in coaching in your, in your current yeah, thank you so much. Also, hey, now's a great time. If you're interested in coaching, reach out. Uh, you know, you can tweet at Mason E. Clark. We can figure it out. We can make it happen. Anyways, that's going to do it for that. You know, <laughs> supporting me is great. I love money. It's awesome. Money, great. Bigger number, better person. Y'all know that. But I really want to make your wallet bigger, and I want you to get magic cards too. So head on over to Oasis Games and let them know that we sent you by using code Would That Be Good to get 50 15% off your first order and use code CCM2G to get 4% back on every order. And you can pick up your cards there. I, Abe, am buying Furies from them after this podcast so I can play Elementals this weekend. You're going to play Elementals, not Rhinos? I don't want to play Rhino. I don't like the Rhino deck. Well, we're going to talk about this in Modern eventually. I think the Rhino deck's kind of overhyped slash like this reminds me of Eldrazi Tron. That's where I'm at on it. Uh, and so... You know, we'll get there when we get there with a modern episode someday. But uh, well, I want, the elemental deck looks looks more fun to play. I don't want a good deck. I want a fun deck to play. Yeah, and those cards is way more fun than Shardless Agent. If you had to pick a card advantage creature for one blue green, yeah, you would Raven ban Risen Reef, of course, too. Oh yeah. <laughs> if it was up to Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's an inside joke. Speaking of uh. things that are gone in an instant. Uh, you can drop that 10% off your order Grave Viking Games. It'll be gone in an instant uh, if you use the affiliate link down below in the description of the YouTube video or the uh, podcast description. You can go there for all of your arena uh, skins and promo code purchasing that strikes your fancy for all of the SCGs and... Uh, day-to-day play events that you play yeah all of all of the things you do on arena you can do in more style thanks great viking games without having to wait on the daily deals to show up in your store every single day that's right and you can always support the podcast at patreon.com slash ccmtg abe i don't know if the listeners have noticed we used to do the patreon question before the main segment then we moved it to the back end because we thought listeners might, uh, you know, prefer to have it that way, get to the meat and potatoes first. But this question we got this week from our Patreon is so important that we need to go over it now before we get into the main topic. That way every listener can hear it. And, um, Abe, would you mind reading the question out to our listeners? I, I just, you know, you're such a better Let's reading see, actually, voice. Actually, I, mean. I put out the call. Let's see what we got. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, this week's question from Snapbolt Baralt is uh, why is Mason Clark a third-rate duelist with a fourth-rate deck? The power of friendship. <laughs> that's, that's right, the power of friendship? Yeah, yeah, it's a Yu-Gi-Oh reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
If, I, I believe this person is referencing how there was a Twitter trend over the weekend that was like, what anime character did you want to be as a kid versus which one did you grow up to be? And I put Yugi, like the Pharaoh from Yu-Gi-Oh! And I put Joey Wheeler for what I turned into be. And uh, there's the classic Kaiba line where he says, Joey, you're a third-rate duelist with a fourth-rate deck. And uh, that's just true. Just true. I mean, you can do a lot worse than Joey Wheeler. Joey Wheeler, what, top four duelist kingdom? Joey Wheeler is a world... Listen, I'm just saying if I end up being the Joey Wheeler... World-class duelist. He's a world-class duelist. He makes the finals of Battle City, too. I'm just saying, Joey Wheeler, you know, he's, like, not Yugi or Kaiba. Well, he had outside assistance for some of Battle City, right? Yeah, but, like, it's like a cyborg guide. <laughs> it also it also wasn't it also wasn't his choice, right? No, he, no, he, he played. He played the... No, no, no. In that duel... But, like, a lot of the outside assistance wasn't his choice during the, like, Battle City him versus Yugi duel, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where well, he almost ends up at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the you know, the, the... Merrick is, like, you know, what I would call e-girls, and they're ruining my life. But, uh, no. <laughs> no, but jokes aside, you know... Joey's a world-class duelist. I don't know if you remember the post-Battle uh, City arc where they have the weird tournament that was 11 episodes long where they had the Valkyrie monsters. But Joey top four is that tournament too. Joey Joey stay crushing. Joey's a consistent beast. No dubs, but put out those top eight. Joey Wheeler is the Edgar Magalage. <laughs> and with that, we're going to move on to our main topic for this week's episode this is a new thing we haven't really done one of these um we've done something like them with the sunset shows of the past recently so, so you know since abe's introduction on the show we kind of add this new thing where we have gone over our pick two set reviews and we've uh talked about them and kind of lessons learned and stuff like that and this episode's in that sort of vein but a little more casual and we're actually going to talk about all the sets that are leaving standard with rotation. So at the time of this recording, rotation actually happens in 30 days, which is maybe something that listeners didn't realize. It's literally less than a month. And that means we're not going to have Lovestruck Beast. We're going to lose our sweet, sweet escape cards. We're going to lose our mutate cards, which I'm sure every listener understands fully. And we're going to kind of talk about all that stuff today and go over some stories and things from that time and some lessons from that. And hopefully this can impart some stuff onto you as well. Uh, and definitely in the vein of the Resleavables, if you've been listening to that a little bit. So, Abe, I, I think we have to start with Eldraine, because it's the first set that kind of dropped during all this. And yeah. let's be honest, it's the most defining set and the most impactful set in years. I mean, it's crazy to think War of the Spark probably would take that title if it wasn't for Eldraine, but that's true. Yeah. I don't even know if, if War of the Spark came out when... El if Eldraine and War of the Spark's release timings were switched, I'm not sure that it would be different but Eldraine leading off the year of 2020 uh for magic and uh th this rotation season and also being the biggest defender is just such a whammy combo for what is probably you know I, I don't know it's like one of the most universally like what what happened sets since like Mirrodin it's like yeah it's so bad like it's it's not it's like it's a it's a good set obviously very powerful but like when i was looking back and thinking about what happened during the set like i was reminded of all the bands in standard and all the events i played with in paper uh play with these cards and how like it was like a russian nesting doll of problems that kept on getting deeper and deeper as the as the bands rolled in and as the decks came through and uh yeah uh 
it, I don't know necessarily <laughs> that it's worse than the War of the Spark, but it definitely has felt worse than War of the Spark because we've just had it longer. <laughs> yeah, we just trudged through it forever. Yeah, and we'll get into this a bit more when Ikoria hits, but I think the pandemic did not help with Eldrain's uh, taste in our mouth, let alone that. I, I think it's important to kind of talk about some stuff we did like about Eldrain, though, before we get any further. And I, I will say that I really, really liked a lot of the stuff that was gone for in Eldrain and a lot of the thematic things and that sort of nature. Um, but besides that, the Eldrain cards are just kind of too good on rate in a lot of spots. And do, did you realize how many, like, I mean, I know you looked through it, but, like, do you think you could guess the number of cards that are banned from Eldrain just in, like, standard, modern, and pioneer? Like, just those three? It's Isn't a lot. It like, it's, like, eight cards or something. I believe that's correct. Because there's, like, yeah. Winoda, Once Upon a Time, Oko Thief of Crowns, um... I'm forgetting the names of the other ones on the spot here. I'll have them in the Probably description. the ones that are on the ban list, because then there's Uro. And yeah. Like... yeah, 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 well, that's... yeah. We, we have Once Upon a Time, Fires of Invention. Fires, thank you. Crowns. Lucky Clover. <laughs> uh... Escape to the Wilds. Yeah, Escape to the Wilds. Yes. Uh, and there's another one, too. But th there's just a lot. There's just, like, a yeah. lot of ban cards that are all from this same time period. <laughs> and it's really crazy how strong the sand format is. And, like, looking back at this, you and I were talking about this before the show started, but I remember the first open that um, Eldrain was legal for standard was SCG Pittsburgh, better known as the Valley Forge Casino. No, it's uh, it's SCG Philadelphia. Philly, I get it mixed up every time. All right. Well, the Valley, the home of the Valley Forge. We're in the basement of the Valley Forge. And my teammate uh, for this, this is a team event. My teammate for the event is Jess Estefan, who was at the time in the MPL, and she had a pro tour the next weekend. And she was just like, I have already registered my deck because the deck registration, I'm going to play that deck in this tournament so I can get some practice. And I'm like, yeah, if you think your deck's good enough for the Pro Tour, it's good enough to play here, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, do your thing. And we had Banned Oko, a deck that will get banned in a very short period of time from this point. And it was not even close to the best deck in the room. Yeah, no, it was... It's, I, like, I laughably bad. In, <laughs> in that event was, uh... was Jeremy Bertarioni with, uh... The like fires, fires feel of the dead, fires feel of the dead with like fave wishes and everything, um, with like the the huge Trump plan of doing that. Uh, I played, I spent most of that week because this was back when I was still in college, uh, like on, I guess like on the start of the next season, right of uh, of playing SCGs, but uh, I was still in college. I remember playing between classes. I had this like three hour time slot where I was just stuck in school like playing field of the dead matches on my computer uh like on my laptop sitting in like the hallway of the, of the like economics building at my school um like trying out different things and i was like one of the first people to like put kenrith in their deck and be like yeah this card is like an insane mirror breaker and then like slowly over like you know the course of that week i think like between myself zach keeney and uh and the lotus box boys they the format was just all goalless. And by the time that tournament rolled around, it was like I was scrambling to find uh, to find copies of Agent of Treachery. That was like the big hard card to find other than Field of the Dead. I had to like borrow Kenriths, which were only in like it was impossible to find non-foil versions because they were only in foil. It was a huge mess. This set like and that tournament especially were just like brutal to find cards for. I think we myself Jonathan's Kenick and AJ Kerrigan 
like, we made a pretty deep run. I think we, like, lost back-to-back -back potential win-and-ins and then, uh, like, ultimately lost to, or ultimately beat Anderson. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, y'all, your round. table, you were set next to us in the last round. Because I remember... Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're... We, like, started off that day with a win. I remember every, every round I sat down, I was, like, I was so ready for the field mirrors because I'm not really bothered by that stuff as much. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm playing in paper, it's just, like, whatever. It's a nightmare standard format deck where board states are going to get tough and, like, you need to, like, figure out how to trump people and play quickly. Like, but whatever. That, that's just magic. So mm -hmm. I remember that being, like... Uh, I'd sit down and if my opponent was like, oh, ready to do this again? As we like started on our Boreal Grazers and Field of the Deads. Uh, I was like, yeah, are you ready? And they're like, oh, no, it's going to be so miserable. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, what, <laughs> what, what are you going to do about it? Let's just jam. Come on. Like, let's go. Chop, chop. Um, and so that was like, that was awesome. I think I only lost mirrors to like, I think I only lost a mirror to Rossum because he, like, had more Okos in his deck. And that was when I was like, man, Oko's a pretty decent card. It neutralizes Hydra Graces. Boy, were we wrong about just how good that card was. And uh, I mean, lost, like, Matt Nass's team was there, and he was playing mm -hmm. blue-green food. Played some interesting games. But, yeah, it, that, that form was just... It started off with, like, Field of the Dead being the problem. And slowly, as we removed Field, from the, Field of the Dead from the format, then it was like, oh... Okos. There's bigger problems. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oko's the problem now. And then, like... Oh, Fires is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, Fires is the problem. Oh, Cat Oven's the problem. Oh... And, and, and like, really... Oh, Cat Oven! Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. the other pain card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of the year of Magic really just turned into, like, what Eldraine card is the biggest problem. And that was something I really didn't like. It's really, like... I liked a lot of... The simpler designs. I did like the Muldriftery creatures, the like adventure spells. I think mm -hmm. some were a little pushed. Um, but like Murderous Rider is one of the cards I think really is Donut. It was like definitely people were like, oh wow, this is like absolutely one of the best ones. It's like Hero's Downfall, staple card, but like with a little bit of like life loss on it. And you also draw this 2 3. That's insane. It's just like going to be unreal. And it came out really balanced. Um, Which says a lot about. A lot of things, but also, yeah. <laughs> also our ability as a community to judge cards. Yeah, I, I, I think the adventure cards are really cool. It's just they get a bad rap for Brazen Bar, Love Struck Beast, Bone Crusher Giant. Those three are just like so above rate, yeah. and to the point like where Brazen Bar are seeing modern and legacy play, and it's like probably should be seeing more of it. And it's like this is like it's pretty crazy. Cheap spells are just so good, and when you can play cheap like instant sorcery effects and not affect your creature count and have like you know another card attached when all of those things say draw a card it doesn't really matter how like the, what, what the deck building costs are like you, you just play Lugstruck Beast like single handedly being a 3 mana 5-5 five, five, defensively lights out like entire aggressive strategies making the 1-1s one, a huge roadblock who cares if it attacks really you know the Great Henge also an insanely powerful card from that set that is boosted by Lugstruck Beast there was a lot of things that, like, it, it felt like it was pushed. I remember by the time that Invitational comes around, um, where I think everyone's playing Urza, mm -hmm. and, uh, like, I remember missing day two, but the only thing I had to sweat left was if Allie miraculously 
uh, like 8-0'd or 7-1'd day 2 of the Invitational to jump me on points because Zacchini failed to day 2 because he played something awful like Storm or something in Modern. Mm. I think I like watched him every round since I got eliminated and he just couldn't win a match. But <laughs> <laughs> like, like I walked over and I, he was playing against Harlan and like I just see the game playing out and Harlan just like casts a whir and Zach like looks up at me and like looks at the board and he we just both start laughing because we both understand he just like literally can't win any matchup he plays on the day and that is really good for me and he cares a lot less than me at this point about mm-hmm. like that stuff but I, I'm like oh yeah like you missing day two is like puts me in a lock almost um mm-hmm. But then, like, on day two, I went to Cube Draft instead of playing any other event because it was the only place I couldn't play against an Eldrin card. There would be no Okos, no Love Struck Beasts, no Bone Crusher Giants, none of it. No Adventure cards, no Eldrin cards. I can play against new things. Pioneer was covered with the stuff. It was so awful. Yeah, it was... uh, It was a wild time. Yeah, the, the, the impact was lasting, and, you know... Like you mentioned, we talked a lot about the band cards and the adventure creatures, some, but things like Great Hinge, Ember Cleave, these sort of things have impacted the standard format for their entire time. And uh, they've done it in really real ways. And things like Core Vault 2, I mean, has carried an archetype along with Trail of Crumbs to this day. You know? They're, yeah, it's like it's still like one of the best cards in Historic <laughs> and Pioneer. It's like. <laughs> The deck, the deck still shows up. It's so good in every format. Yeah, I, I, I top-aided a standard uh, classic at during this time of Eldraine, and I played the Jun Food deck, and I was talking to uh, our friend Manda recently, and that got brought up or whatever, and she's like, oh, what was that deck like? And I was like, you know the historic deck? I, I didn't have Thoughtseize, but my deck was just that deck, actually. It's just the historic deck. <laughs> I know, it's better sideboard yeah. cards for the metagame. And it was like... When I thought of it like that, it's like, wow, there have been some messed up standard decks in this little like period of time during all of this. Um, so yeah, it, it it's a really crazy uh, sort of thing to think about and look on there. I think we could talk about Eldrain honestly for the whole episode if we spaced out a bit more, but we should really move on to the other stuff <laughs> yeah. because the other stuff will bring up Eldrain again. Um, worth mentioning before we move on though, Paul Vida did win the Pro Tour during this time playing Blue Green Food. Playing against Strosky. I'm sorry, Strosky won. Strosky beat, yes. beat PV. Strosky yeah. beat PV. I misspoke in there. Five, my bad. five tight games. Yeah, five tight games of blue green food. A, a classic matchup. They were this. That was one of the last moments I feel. Speaking about like memories and things like that, where it's like, wow, the pressure is really on. Like Strosky wins this. He's MPL or whatever. Or right. He's he's somewhere in that spot or not. And these games are so tight. They're so close. This is like the last great, you know, storyline coverage in, in my head, uh, at least. And so that's probably not true. But that's like the the one that stands out to me. You know, I, I have There's some. Also, mm. There was another Mythic Championship than that one uh, with Eldrin out. Yeah, there were two, right? Before the Field of the Dead banning. And I believe what actually won was Gruul Aggro, which is yeah. just. I, I looked at him and was like, there's no way it actually happened. But yeah, Gruul Aggro beat. Uh, the uh, Javier Dominguez on Grillagro beat uh, John Emmanuel DeBraz on the uh, the field deck. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about like, oh yeah, Questing Beast was that good. It's like... <laughs> Questing Beast Invercleave was like very, very hard to beat for a while. And there was also, <laughs> there was also that um, Jeskai Fires like cavalry deck. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that that really takes over in Ikoria, but it only takes over because these other cards got banned along the way. Like, it's it's really impressive. That deck was a deck also at, during this format. It's crazy to think that, like, at the Pro Tour we're talking about where Gruul Aggro won, there's Bant Oko, Blue-Green Oko, Field of the Dead, Fires Revention. Like, all the decks that would end up getting... I'm sure someone had Jun Food as well. Actually, I know... Uh, Crokies had Jun Food. He was playing Black Green Food, I think, at that event. So there's a bunch of decks that got banned all at the same tournament. Shout and out to Crokies. Shout out to Crokies, the best Magic player of all time, clearly. He's the one we should be trying to get on the show. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, I mean, it is truly, truly an incredible tournament to think about and just shows how insane Field of the Dead is, which we're not even really talking about because it already, like rotated on the time that's coming out but field of the dead was like one of the most messed up cards in magic's history uh until we get to ikoria we'll talk about that soon theros so theros is actually holds like a special place in my heart too because theros is right actually like that the uh classic i mentioned is like right before theros it's the end of the standard format with eldraine um as like the the only set or whatever and theros i mean this set really kind of blew people away i think in power i think when it was coming out, it kind of did this thing that is a little bit of a theme across sets even now with AFR, where, like, can these cards compete with Eldraine? And the answer is typically they can't, but there are a few standouts that do end up surprising people. I think this set really did that with cards like Elspeth Conqueror's Death being one of them. I think Woe Strider was a card that people ping pretty early as being good, but it actually has, like, been really, really great throughout its whole entire time in Standard. It's been a huge player. Cling to Dust has done a lot of really, really good work. Even in older formats like Legacy a little bit, we saw some Cling in the earlier parts of the year. And Theros was a really impressive set. But it is overshadowed by the Uro Menace, which yeah. I remember, for, like, a little story time, I remember driving back from uh, an SCG, and it was, like, one of the first times I've ever actually driven, like, by myself or whatever. And... It would have been SCG, I think, Cincinnati or something. And I'm, like, driving. I get to a rest stop or whatever, and I'm, like, stretching my leg. I'm taking, like, 15 minutes to get out of the car, you know. And I look at my phone, and I see this Euro card get printed. And I'm, like, dang, this card's pretty good, you know. And, like, I look through Twitter and stuff like that, and people are, like, really hyped for Euro. And I'm, like, this card's pretty good. I'm, like, thinking about it in the car. I'm, like, yeah, that card's going to be really strong. It's probably really good with Emery. Like, you Emery, like, kind of finds your Uro. You do some stuff. That's kind of cool. Like, we're going to have to look out for more cards that are good with Uro. It turns out magic cards are good with Uro. And it is, <laughs> <laughs> like, one of, the, one of the most, like, single-handed, hey, if you just have Uro, you can win the game cards in all of Magic's history. Um, it really does take over the game all by itself. Yeah, and, I remember this being the, the transition from, like, okay, Oko, too good. We messed up. Oko's out of here. And then they just printed Uro. <laughs> and, like, Uro was just another one blue-green card that just made the game revolve around itself. And it was so... I, like, my reaction, I remember being like, this card is going to dominate. This card is going to suck so much. And, like, by the time people started casting it and playing with it a little bit, it... it there was no, like, there was, like, this hope of, like, oh, maybe we're all wrong. Maybe it's all not that bad. And then... It was... Uro pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Uro is really good. Yeah, I, I remember... It, yeah, it really did. Like, the first SCG uh, that that being released was another team tournament. This seems to be a common tr thread. Uh, and 
the topic of that, we had, like, Reclamation, which, by the way, is around during all this time. We were talking about all these decks, and there's just... Reclamation is legal during this format, during this time. What a crazy era when you really think about it. And that was, like, the deck that dominated. We saw, like, Dylan Hand Top 8 with uh, my Jun deck, and then um, we saw Reclamation do really well, and we saw Blue-White Control ultimately win the tournament, I believe, um, in the yeah, hands that was actually, of BCW. Uh, that was actually the same that was a tournament in the same venue that was in uh in philadelphia i believe or no 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 i'm thinking of the uh, this was for this was virginia it was like Richmond, yeah, no, there, there's the richmond tournament i remember i played a bunch of pioneer for that one it's helping people prepare for the first and only uh of the of the in-person regional players tours mm-hmm. um, that's right and i i remember i played i had a friend who played they were playing like some nissa like blue green deck uh, with like gust and everything yeah and then that was the weekend that, like inverter came out but also uro was like until i think it was what joel larson played uro and pioneer yeah like that was like the first moment where people were like oh like it goes back <laughs> like, oh, oh like oh no like we should really be getting on this because it's uh it's that good. Like, like we should be doing it in all the formats. And then I remember that card, like, like Inverter overshined it, especially in Pioneer. Mm-hmm. But that being, uh, being like the, the moment. And then by the time that Philadelphia rolled around again in the Valley Forge Casino, which is what I was remembering, because mm-hmm. I spent, by then semesters would roll over. I no longer had this three-hour downtime. My schedule was a lot more compact, so I was playing, um, Teamer Reclamation leagues during my environmental ethics class uh, and whenever the professor would walk around the room to come I, I sat in the back of the class on my laptop it was like mostly an online like interfacing class for interaction for whatever reason and so I'd just be playing Moto and whenever he'd assign his little writing thing I would like have to lose five minutes on my Moto clock and be like <laughs> fiercely double queued in class um, but that was like yeah the, the only decks in the format were, were food wreck and, uh, and blue eye control for a little bit there. Yeah, this is so. P, so I got confused there earlier. PV won worlds with this deck. He won worlds yes, with blue eye control. control. Yes, yeah. And he beat fires of invention, which is a banned deck we'll get to here in a minute, even more so. But uh, yeah, I, I remember this because I was gonna play PV's blue eye control deck at my. I like a local PTQ. It's gonna be like LGS. You get to go play the play, the regionals player tour or whatever the thing's called at the time. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, basically, it's the PTQ. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to play PV stack, stack strong or whatever. You know, like IRL tournaments are always a couple weeks behind. I don't want to play anything silly or stupid. And then I remember after an SCG, I want to say it's one of the last ones. Because, yeah, because we had lockdown almost pretty soon after I got qualified with the Pro Tour. So it would have been Indianapolis with Pioneer. Yeah. I'm, like, eating food at Primandy Brothers. And I'm, like, scrolling Twitter. And I follow a lot of Japanese Magic Twitter accounts. Or follow a couple of them, I should say. And I saw one from a local tournament where this guy just had, like, 4-0 in his, like, picture, and he had, like, a bunch of, Jap- like, kanji I couldn't read. But more importantly, he had his deckless picture. And in his deckless picture, he had blue white control, but with Uro Hydrocrasis uh, Tamio, which would later become the Bant deck that everyone... This deck hadn't yeah. been discovered at this point. It's, like, a <laughs> month in. <laughs> yeah, the best deck of the format by a lot. And I was like, this deck looks really good. And I, like, slid it and, like, crossed the table. And I was like, I might play that next weekend. You know? And it's like... Uh, maybe, like, you know, I'll test it when I get home or whatever. I don't want to, like, throw away a good thing or whatever. You know, I really want to queue for the Pro Tour. This seems like a really great chance to do it. I'm not going to have a lot of chances playing all the SG tours. And I got home, and I played it on Arena, and I was like, holy, sh- 
Like, my deck's unbeatable. Like, I literally can't lose a... I, I just, like... I'm, like, uh, I'm like playing terribly. I'm, like, sideboarding like an idiot. I, like, don't know what's going on in the matchups. I don't understand them from this side yet. And I just cannot lose. And I, like, haven't escaped an Uro yet. And it's, like... <laughs> it's, like, I've been playing three-mana Gross Spiral or whatever. And I'm just bodying people. And I'm, like, okay, I have to get the cards for this. And then I, you know... I ended up qualifying for the Pro Tour uh, at with this deck in that format. And so, you know, Uro, for all it's worth, it did get me to the Pro Tour. I think I escaped it one time across the whole day, but it was against a Fires player. And, it was all you need. It, it was enough to block the Cavalier. I went to, like, two and then escaped it again and was like, let's start pounding. <laughs> you know, and my card's insane. So, yeah, uh, Theros block is, like, once again, this, like, kind of crazy thing. And... I really like Theros. I think it did a lot of really cool things. Like, I think ECD is a really awesome type of card where, like, it really punishes, like, these bigger mana stuff. And it's, like, this huge haymaker. But it didn't become obnoxious and we saw it forever. You know, it, it did kind of leave once Yorion left. Like, the format kind of changed a bunch and the power level thing shifted with bands. And it was just a really fun format to play and be a part of and to kind of experience. I don't know how you feel yeah, about Theros overall. I don't overall. know that I have the same recollection. I did like, I, I liked playing, um... Okay, yeah, so I, I had, uh, I had reevaluated my process and was really starting to see results in that, uh, and some of the changes I was making. Um, at my, my team event Sundays, or, like, Saturdays were not that good, but my Sundays, um, I had, like, top four of the Pioneer Classic at, in Richmond and, like, felt really good about the way I'd played all day and, like, um... You know, thanks to playing Teamer in uh, in class, I like I ended up punting away the game. But like, I felt like I played one of the tougher tournaments I played. Playing that flash deck was really difficult, uh, especially against blue white when there's so many things going on. Like, I played that tournament really well and was just like overall rebuilding a good foundation for myself and like feeling a lot more confident um, than I had uh, previously and. At the same time, I think it was, like, probably some of the more, like, miserable that I, Magic has been while I've played it. And and once the, um, the lockdown started for the pandemic, I basically checked out at this point. And, and I I liked original Theros. is actually the set I probably have played the most matches of. But this Theros Beyond Death, like, I felt like it missed a lot of marks um, for me personally, where... The cards weren't really exciting or like you know they were all solid i guess but really the ones that had any impact were the omens which were good role players um dryad and modern conquers death um wait what card in modern dryad of the elysian grove it made amulet easy yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. So. Yeah, see, I actually hate that it did that. I hate that Amulet Titan is so much... It's still very hard, and Magic's a very hard game or whatever. But Amulet Titan, you had to scrap for it. We had trophy yeah, mages. We had cool stuff. Yeah, and it was just like... Your games. Oh, man, I hate Dryad. Yeah, so, so around this point, I really was just, like, kind of checking out. I guess Pioneer was the form I was paying the most attention to because it had the most new stuff going on. Um, but Theros didn't really do anything to excite me and didn't really give me a play experience that was very fun. Most of the cards I remember really fondly were still the ones that were like, even like the spiky, like, oh, I'm winning tournaments or like, oh, yeah, I remember like playing these pioneer decks like mono black or like I remember playing 
these things. And, and Uro was actually probably more miserable for me than Oko, because when I was playing with Oko, at least I felt like things were broken, or like I was doing something powerful, or I would just know the game was like kind of defined by this card, but with Uro, just every game that it was cast felt like such a slog that Uro is just too large a stain on, on Theros for me. Um, sure. I did like the limited GP. I had a I had a seal pool where I had like no removal but two dream trawlers. <laughs> I just I hated how much of a slog the game was. Over. Luckily, my double dream trawler deck just beat the ever loving crap yeah, out of my opponents. Dream I remember playing against. Uh, <laughs> oh god. Playing against um, former player of the year, beat Seth Manfield in the playoff. Beat Seth Man. No one beat Seth Manfield except for no, when he, he had both he, events. What's up, Seth? No, he. Who was the one who they had the like best of one playoff? Oh, I know you're talking about Luis Salvato. Yeah, I played against Luis Salvato in that Grand Prix, and like I just remember him shaking his head when I just cast the second Dream Troll. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like an awesome moment for me. I don't know. Opening Dream Trollers was great. Everything else about that set, I could have done without. Sure, sure. I will say that you know qualifying for the Pro Tour and also having a deck before it like broke out probably paints my perspective of the format a little different than most. I will uh, admit that. Anyways, Ikoria. So we've hit the part of the podcast where it's like... We're talking about COVID? Yeah. It's like low-key, maybe a trigger warning. I'm not sure. Try to figure out how to balance that, but we're going to talk about COVID a bit here. But yeah, I I mean, Ikoria started previewing, and I remember reading Ikoria previews on my phone while I'm like... Because I have a... At the time, they're a 9 and 10-year-old Brady Brothers. And so they're out of school. And someone has to watch them while my parents, like, did Zoom patient appointments. And I couldn't see patients because I, when I see them, I need to actually be there physically to hook them up to a machine. And so I'm watching these kids. And, I'm at, like, they're doing their homework or whatever. And I'm, like, scrolling Twitter reading Ikoria previews. And, like, that's, like, the start of Ikoria. Like, I very clearly remember seeing, like the bat that mutates in like my stepmom's yeah dirge back that's right do it's a it's a hero's downfall bat and i remember seeing that one in my stepmom's uh, art studio and you know that's like my memories with like but like it's so weird because i don't remember anything about icoria until it comes out from that point like i just know thanks to like how covid worked where it was just like i was stuck inside a whole bunch and they had all these previews, and can, the companion hype was, like, it was, like, the end of the world. And I, we, have, we have to start there, I think. Yeah, so, uh, I guess a little last piece of perspective. We were already, like, halfway through at this point, these sets. But a little perspective on, on my trajectory here, which is that, like, Eldraine, I'm, uh, when Eldraine's previewing, I'm still writing for Star City. Mm-hmm. Shortly after Eldraine, I am no longer ready for Star City as they decide they're changing their model and uh, and I'm not in it. So it's a pretty big blow. And then also, like, so the only thing tying me down to, like, caring a lot about competitive magic and, like, processing that is, like, okay, I'm just going to focus on being the best player I can be and do those things. It's kind of where I wanted to be anyway. Focus on school and this. So I really had those only those two things going on. And then both those things were taken away from me. And I kind of just, like checked out it was like i couldn't tell you a single card i remember seeing previewed nicoria i do remember being convinced by watching a friend play some icoria like standard mm-hmm. that like from one of the for the lotus box tournaments which were starting up in this time as a way that um a way that the scgs were or a way to like replace the feeling that the scgs were uh were giving was that lotus box in order to make sure that 
people stayed engaged with their content for, you know, hopefully just the short time that we were going to be uh, dealing with this, which did not turn out to be a short time. <laughs> so we uh, still deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those, those events started up, and I remember the standard one being the first one in the series, and I'd meant to play a couple of them, but they were really doing the series, and, like, just watching my friend play with Luris and being like, this card is legal, like, you can do that? I think I must have posted, like, an 80% win rate across all of the matches I played on Moto or on Arena or anywhere with the companion mechanic as it was. It was just so hope hopelessly broken. And, like, still people talk about... I saw not yesterday Dom Harvey talking about how, like, maybe we should just ban Luris in Modern because it's just too too good. And, yeah. Like, the companion mechanic, despite being nerfed, despite all these things, it really made Magic, like me who was only able to enjoy and only really felt like enjoying magic in the spikiest way possible trying to like when i when i was giving myself the time to play just play out of my mind and play to win and play these like you know complex games or like you know maximize my resources and stuff and like really go at it remembers it kind of fondly but my only memories this set are watching my friends draft cycling for seven wins and force force it in the quick draft queues to get all the way to like high mythic and like get their arena counts to infinite which i should have done but i didn't care enough about magic at the time to do it um and playing the lotus box events so that was like it and i loved it i was having a blast i was like this is so unhealthy but unlike all of the other unhealthy things i've dealt with in magic for the last 18 months between all of the planeswalkers and uro and oko this one is fun for me to do because it's hyper spiky and not game dominating in that kind of way where it's only around this one card it's that i'm just playing something super powerful that's not going to get interacted with well and like i'm going to interact well with my opponent which was so sick yeah i uh i mean companions you know they changed the game they changed everything like i remember like do you remember how uh garuda day one was like that's what people thought was like they're like, wow, we're gonna have to ban Garuda, <laughs> you know, like that sort of. How much power into play for six mana? <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and like legacy decks, like I mean, it had to get changed in legacy and stuff, but like you would just like lions eye diamond out these Garudas, you know, and there's just this crazy like shift in tone. And I remember I was streaming a bunch at this point, like at the start of pandemic, because I had, like nothing else to do, and it was like I was streaming Lurus humans. And I was, like, really big on... And I, I still think Lurus Humans was better than Gigante Humans at the time, because Lurus is a better card. But, like, you just would flood the board with humans and play your deck, and you just had a way to, like, rebuy your Thalia's Lieutenants now and stuff like that, and it just became miserable for your opponent. And it's funny, because I remember all of this, and I remember distinctly getting into the Valorant beta, and then Valorant eating up a whole bunch of my time, <laughs> like... Just mono Valorant until we're like about a half a month or probably a month out from the Pro Tour. And then my Pro Tour was, was this format online. And so it was a thing where it's like I was playing to figure out that. And it's like, okay, do I want to play Reclamation? Do I want to play Bant? And I was testing with Estefan and Ash Lizzle. Those were not together, but I was like in two different groups with them. And I was trying to figure stuff out. And I remember having a lot of, and I still kind of do, to be honest, just blown with you. I have a lot of resentment towards that being my Pro Tour. I spent a lot of time getting good at Magic. And, you know, I'm not the best player in the world, but I, I know I could qualify for more Pro Tours, but I'm not going to get a chance because it's done. And then, like, the kind of half Pro Tour that they did, I, I did the I, I qualified, I did the thing, I, I played by the rules. And then, like, I got got by the pandemic. And so 
right now, fun fact listeners, you're in the same place I played the Pro Tour. If you're watching the YouTube video, I sat right here and played it. This is what I did. I was here. And so, you know, and like all I got from my Pro Tour is that arena sleeve. And I'll tell you what, I only use that stupid past exile sleeve and it's the only one I'll ever use because that's the thing I got. But, uh, you know, that was my Pro Tour. And for my Pro Tour, I remember a lot of it figuring out like, Am I just going to play uh, Team Rec or am I going to play Bant? And I was pretty locked in on playing Team Reclamation despite um, Estefan really thinking we should play Bant. And then there was like the two different Pro Tour weekends that had two different Pro Tours going at the same time. Yeah. And it was like very much like, uh, like this is the thing I'm in. I'm going to play. I'm going to compete in it. And, you know, for what it's worth, like at the time, Allie's in the podcast and Allie top eighted the Pro Tour week. Shoot, Allie played the week before mine. Uh, maybe it was two weeks. I can't remember exactly, but the one before mine for sure. And Ali Top A did, and you know I was gonna play uh, Team Rec, but I had like Narset Reversal as like the thing that I figured out, and that turned out to actually be good, which was another very validating moment. But it was like I played this Pro Tour, and I in my day one I remember my Pro Tour going really well. Like I, I get you know pre- I'm excited to play Magic. I enjoy playing Magic. It's just so funny. Speaking of Twitter trends, yesterday there was a trend that was like going around all of Twitter. It's like post a picture of yourself not smiling, and it hit Magic Twitter, and everyone's Magic, everyone's picture, basically Abe right, was them playing Magic, and I was like, I, I don't have that picture. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just like always smiling or grinning or something when I play, but I get anxious still, you know. And I I remember playing the Pro Tour, and like I won round one, I won round two, I won round three. I actually went back and found the thread recently on Twitter. And it was like, things are going really well. I lose to Mono Black, I think, in round five. I play against Nassif in round seven, and I lose to him in a really close game. I go back and I watch the VOD. And it was very interesting to me because it was like, all right, not only do I get to rewatch my game and learn from it, but I also get to see if, like, did Nassif fall for my bluffs or did he just figure he could play around stuff? You know, like, was it working? Yeah. Was it not? And it was really great to see, like, Nassif's like, wow, this person's like, well, A, he called me a psychopath because I played no ops. That was the first thing he said. When you go back, if you watch, I don't think the VOD's anywhere, but you, if you could, the first thing Steve said is, wow, no ops, crazy. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, that, that's a little crazy, admittedly. Uh, and the second was like, he's like, this guy has to have a shark typhoon. He's playing like, there's just no way he doesn't. And we just like had a lot of land go situation where I very clearly remember my hand being like almost all lands. And it was like, I didn't have a shark typhoon, but I really needed to see to think I had one. So he didn't play one and start beating the crap out of me with it. I believe it involved me like even not playing a Teferi so that he wouldn't cycle his Shark Typhoon. It was like a really crazy match. I remember it going really well. And day two, you know, didn't go great or whatever. But I ended up X5 at my first Pro Tour. And I was like really happy about that. But I still have like this weird... I mean, I I think it's like a chip, honestly, where it's like I kind of got shafted. You know, I, I did everything right. Yeah. And I got I got the online Pro Tour. Everyone tells me how they went to Montreal or whatever. And... Yeah, you know, no, I, I get to relive it every day. I just talk about what Madrid, Kyoto, and you're talking about your own room. That's it's not it's not the experience that a lot of people when they like you know think about the dream or, or about the pro tour. They it's not the thing that they feel like they've sold themselves on. And I, I definitely you know I, I definitely feel like there's been a big association for me personally with the new state of things and why I haven't been playing like why I didn't play many super PTQs or why I didn't play, don't play like as many moto PTQs as I necessarily would have if all I knew all the PTs qualified for real PTs right now. It's just mm. like, it's not the same thing and it's not, 
especially being on being in the set of players who like had fought for so long for this thing to be like the first of you know however many uh, we don't even know what op is going to look like in a year like however many more pro tours or pro tour equivalents or large-scale events look like that is definitely something i can see being uh extremely like it's super valid for you to be frustrated about that and and like to to have that chip on your shoulder but you know i'm glad that you had an experience that was still yeah. positive for you and one that you like you know like your result was one that you can remember uh fondly and like you know that, that you were able to make the most of what was you know and is otherwise a pretty terrible situation yeah yeah i, I so i you know like when i think back back at Arcoria when we're talking about this I, I don't have a lot of fond memories. I, I, you know, I just didn't play a lot. It's like at the start of the pandemic. I think the formats were like fine or whatever, but it was like Fire's Yorion was so good. Oh, I, I day twoed and like I lost playing for a thousand dollars during this point too. Like I played like the stupid band deck. Like I played like the, the arena thingy and I like got to day two or whatever and just lost like two heartbreakers playing for a grand. I forgot about that. That's yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, the yeah the crew. I think this one was Yorion fires though. It was like agent of treachery, fires. Oh, Urban. Jeskai Luca. Jeskai Luca. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I said the wrong name. Sorry, Jeskai Luca. This was a time where I was just not after the Lotus Box events <laughs> ended, which was with the companion change just about. I don't think I played a Magic tournament or even a match of Magic for something like two or three months. It felt like I I was really out of it. Uh, after I guess it's after the core set, so we, we can we can jump ahead. Is there anything else you want to say about Ikoria as like a, uh, a set or like? Not really. I just this whole I, era is just defined by the word ban. You know, it's just yeah, it's, it really is. We've had multiple different deck banned in every format we've talked about so far. The only thing, so I, one thing that happened in these chaos drafts I talked about and always improving. This is our this is this whole episode has so much lore. Yeah. Um, I played with Dylan Jealous the other the other day. One of these chaos draft chaos drafts. If people don't know Dylan Jealous, um, you know, one of the better drafters out there. When he's like really practiced with the format, I believe he has two GP top eights, both in limited. Um, one finals appearance, one top four appearance. Uh, really, really good limited player. The only thing he really does in Magic is play limited. He took an extended break over the course of uh, the course of the lockdown pandemic he it really didn't feel the same to him he wasn't getting what he wanted out of it um so he stopped he was doing one of his chaos drafts he cast a mutate spell <laughs> i had to explain to him seven times how mutate worked and i never even thought about it because it's so seamless on like magic arena and magic online how it like works and whatever and like you play with it once or twice and you really get it but it was just a lost cause and and i'd never appreciated the complexity in icoria until then because i always remembered it as the like Oh, you just draft cycling set and the oh yeah companions are broken set so that's fair yeah mutate is berserk when yeah. you like read it it's just an it enchantment does, it does mark the end of at least for me it marks the end of the like what are we doing like this is so broken era of like design that's so, true. i think this is like the end of fire to me like when everyone was like freaking out about like eldrin stuff this is like the last set where I really felt like things were just being too pushed and, and we were like we were going down the wrong path and things the ship needed to be righted and I think this core set and beyond really was the, the writing of the ship so that's what I liked about 
Ikoria was that it was the last of these things. That and my hyper spiky obsession with like winning a billion matches and like winning a bunch of money at the in the Lotus Box events. It's Those are, like the only thing I have to get about it. It's so funny to me that you say it's the end of fire because you know they still follow fire, right? It's just they've got it. They understand it better now. Yeah, but I think that <laughs> yeah. it kind of feels like like we're still in it though. That's what I'm saying is they just missed. Right, they missed, but they missed so many times in a row. But and now we back. You know, it's like that's true. new fire. I just consider it post fire because I really do think that like did you have fire slaves? This year of magic, I think this year of magic is most defined by people being like, what the, like, come on, what are we doing? This is insane. This is just way too much, and like, the power level is way too pushed, and this is not actually fun. We wanted more powerful cards, but not like this. This is this is way too much. And I guess like, Omnath is probably the last design I consider. Like, yeah. Uh, this week. O- Omnath was over the line, for sure. Also, Lurus is like, with the original companion rule, probably the best magic card ever printed, if not yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's one of the only cards banned in vintage. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. It's underappreciated how good Luris I think is. Like the original, like current Luris, quite strong. Original Luris is like very, very, very good. Like we're talking about my deck that's all humans and just creatures that attack was playing Luris, and I promise you it was the best build of humans at the time. There's just no doubt in my mind. Anyways. I want to talk about a fun aside of the fire story. So recently, I went out to Seattle to visit my friend Emma. It was a great time. Uh, Emma works at Play Design, and they had a cookout. And I went there, you know, and it was just a little fun get-together, whatever. I was just happened to be in town on the weekend. And Melissa had brought sleeves for everyone because they were going to do a draft. And she's like, oh, I had these extra sleeves. And we did, a, I think, three drafts that day, right? So there was, like, a bunch of them. And then I'm in the last one, which is an AFR draft. And so this is like the release weekend for Forgotten Realms as well. And I looked at my sleeves that I've been playing with all day, and it's F-I-R-E with a dot, 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 dot. Like, you know what I mean? It's like fire. And I looked down at the sleeve, and I'm like, it's fire design. And they, like, I'm like actually playing against Melissa at the time. And Melissa goes, yeah. And I'm like, I get it now. I didn't understand why there was fire with these smokes on the sleeve before. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, yeah, it's a fire design, you know. And I was like, yeah, that's dope. Kill spell. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, that that that's my latest memory with fire design. It's just looking down, like, oh, I get it. I thought these were just like lame guy Ferrari sleeves or whatever this whole time. <laughs> you thought you were taking them to flames? <laughs> yeah, I just thought they were like little flames. I thought they were just stupid sleeves. I thought they I literally thought they were like old Grand Prix sleeves that Melissa just like had grinded Grand Prix for a long time. I was one trying to get them the like the, out of her closet. Just like get out of here. Like, <laughs> they were like from the last company like cookout. Yeah, they, they were like a thing they might give out still. <laughs> I, that might be a thing where like Melissa just had a bunch from the office before lockdown, you know, and just brought them to the cookout. <laughs> Either way, that's a, a fun little story from that. Regardless, uh, the core set. Uh, this is the last one. It's going to be leaving us soon. This core set is... I think it has Ugin and Season Hollowblade and I think zero other cards that I remember. <laughs> Dramatically different than the last core set. Before it. The core set before it is also one of the most broken sets of all time. It's like Veil, Aethergust, Mystic, uh, I'm sorry, Veil, Aethergust, uh, 
Field of the Dead, Risen Reef, all the Cavaliers, uh, some other cards, Fry, which is like an all-star card. Like, like honestly, we, the core set is not as good as Eldraine, and it's not as good as War of the Spark, but it's no slouch as a little hump between them. Yeah, you know? I think the only core set I would consider to be stronger might have been the Titan core set. Yeah. The first one with the Titans, because... I think it also had like the Celestial Purge, Flash Freeze cycle mm -hmm. that predates this new souped up and like Aethergust is Aethergust and Veil of Summer especially, just so miserably good. Like they, they're berserk. They're just so efficient. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, this course it doesn't have a lot to really say about it. It's fine. You know, it's one of those things that's so funny, right? Because it's like when Ugin got previewed. People are like, wow, wow, we, Ugin's going to break everything because there's this big narrative about big mana and stuff and whatnot. And, you know, Ugin has been a, definitely a player through Standard during its time. You know, we're kind of moving into, like, the current year, which I guess we'll go over in a year from now. But it has never really dominated the format and really shows just how much 8 mana is in Magic. Because Ugin is really, really good. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, this was like... I, also, remember, I have zero interest I, in that. Yeah, but this was like, this came out, I think maybe like two or three weeks before the Lotus Box Invitational was finalized. So I guess this was like, this came out in like June or something, and that event was in July. Sounds uh, right. And I just remember being like, yeah, there's no way I'm putting Ugin in a deck. This Teferi is kind of whack. People are going to play them in their Bant decks, but like. Is it very good? I think Primal Might was maybe one of the better cards. Primal Might is a, by the way, all-time oh, great card. Mono green, mono green, like, was played for a bit here. I, th I think I remember Mono Green Aggro being a thing before... Uh, before it all waned. Because I remember there were a few... Um, there were a few standard challenges I played on Moto with, like, either Mono Green or Mono Black Aggro. And the uh -huh. Mono Black Aggro ones were... Maybe the Mono Black Aggro ones from this time but I, there was a while where I'd play like one classic every two months and I would top eight and be like well that was fun and then I'd like uninstall Moto off my laptop and, <laughs> and move forward but uh, hmm. yeah it was just honestly I'm glad it was a course that we don't think about or talk about anymore I think that Teferi was like the most funny thing and people were upset about what like four different versions of Teferi this is where we started to have what's called booster fun I I am over the booster fun, I think, for the most part, I have had too much fun. I'm over booster fun. Booster Bones is wild booster ride. Yeah, I'm over booster fun. And I'm over double face cards. I've resigned that Innistrad most likely will have double face cards. Just there's just zero chance they don't or whatever. Or there's gonna be some double face mechanic. Whatever, that's fine. I get it. If I, I don't know. I, uh, probably not. I mean, maybe some will be. You know, but like there will probably just be werewolves that are like the OG ones and. I'm just tired of Magic cards having a billion lines of text, which is like a, a complaint we'll have a year from now when we talk about the current sets leaving, where every card's two cards, and it just, like, breaks my brain that, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, well, I, I think that you shouldn't always have something to do in Magic, which is a very counter me and every other aspect of my beliefs on Magic opinion. But uh, at some point, you should just not... You should draw a blank piece of cardboard eventually, and you just never do these days, <laughs> and it drives me crazy. Yeah. But... The uh, the booster fun is just like, you know, 
it's when one hand it's really good right like I, we should say this like all these alternate art prints that they started doing during this time and have really ramped up in the last year have made magic a lot cheaper like rares are very very cheap unless they're broken in some format and then they're not that expensive still and mythics are still kind of expensive but i mean it's very cheap to get a standard deck outside the eldrain cards so i don't know yeah and i think like some lands like trilands and stuff are expensive but yeah you're building a standard deck well i went to oasis games during the middle of the pandemic and bought all i legitimately bought all my trilands like alternate japanese and so i got them all for like 80 bucks or whatever yeah it's just too good a deal to pass up that's what you go to oasisgames.com right now let them know we support the show anyways i think that's gonna do it for that year i i mentioned it a little bit earlier during icoria and you know not all segments of this show were equal nor were the sets in this but this era is really defined by bands i mean it's really telling that we started all this with how many bands there were i think we were right but we forgot so many of the cards and they happen over such a long period of time. Cat ban, agent ban, Winota ban. Well, Winota is banned in other formats. All of these, all of these weren't even banned. Icoria had Winota. That, yeah, Winota, Winota is just part of Icoria, just but like yeah, straight up. <laughs> there were so many bans, and by the time we're done talking, like this corset comes out, and then we get to um, Zendikar. We get to Zendikar Rising. We're still not done with the bans. Uro is still legal. That was a ban people were upset about taking so long to happen. Um, you know, like, Lucky Clover doesn't get the axe until then as well with Omnath. And it's just like, it was a hard year, and there's going to be so much we're going to... What are the good things we're going to miss out on, Mason? When, when, when this set rotates, what are the cards we're going to miss? Are you going to miss playing against Yorian's Revealed? against you on the ladder <laughs> no i'm not gonna miss that i'll tell you that <laughs> are you gonna miss edgewald innkeeper uh no i'm not gonna miss that <laughs> is are you gonna miss uh zenith flare no i'm not gonna miss that <laughs> are you gonna miss um trail anything i'll miss trail crumbs i like that card a lot that's good yeah that's good. i'm just trying to think like with the positive i'm gonna I, miss omen of the sea Omen of the Sea's dope. The, the Omen Cycle's cool. Doom Foretold is a card that kept trying in its entire time standard. And, I mean, like, that's the other thing to talk about, too. We, we didn't even mention this. But the deck that people thought would compete with the Field of the Dead band deck, we talked about that SCG, was the Doom Foretold deck. People came with that deck, got leave, and won a thing. And they're like, this deck is so dope. And then they learned about Field of the Dead. <laughs> I forgot. I don't know. Here, I think that, like now finally we've reached the point where like the 25th to 30th best cards in Eldrain are seeing play yeah and it's pretty it's pretty alright I like Midnight Clock I played a standard challenge yesterday with Midnight Clock I liked Doom Foretold I thought that card was a really um a really good way of using like kind of taxi sub game mm -hmm. elements uh without it being like really oppressive kind of like a smokestacksy design but without a lot of the issues of smokestacks where that card was able to see play and be a part of magic and that aspect of magic was able to come back after so many years of being kind of in in exile for being considered like not not fun and not good mm -hmm. um, so that that's that's another plus about Eldrin. that's all i have to say yeah there are some really cool things emery is really cool like there's a lot of 
a lot of strong, a lot of dope things in the Eldraine era. And, you know, I, I think that Beyond Death has some cool ones. I know that you kind of disagree there. But it was a strong and powerful era. And it really, really showed that playing the best deck is really, really good. When everything's <laughs> broken, do the most broken thing. That's just always the thing to do. I. It's just... I. Like, honestly, if there's a lesson you can take away from this, hopefully you had fun listening to this episode. Hopefully this was a fun time lesson if you like this sort of thing. Playing the best deck during this time was the optimal thing to do, and, like, every other deck in the format was also broken. No one was doing unpowerful stuff. No one was like, oh, I've got my... I mean, I guess there's some Doom Foretolds. But, like, Doom Foretold was, like, the worst of it, right? Like, like no one was doing the low... Like, everything you did was high power. And they still just, like, often weren't good enough. But, like, I don't know. We didn't even talk about the Winoda Age of Treachery deck that got banned. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think neither of us played Magic during that time. Yeah, I, I just watched, like, Emma play the uh, ESL. Do you remember the ESL weeklies? Emma won, like, $8,000 playing those. <laughs> just, like, playing one game for $1,000. It's just, like, a crazy time period. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's weird. It's funny because right now I have a lot of thoughts about the current era that we're in, but we don't get to talk about that one for another year till it leaves because it's not fully actualized yet. Yeah. But it's funny because I think when we do the next one, we have to talk about it moving forward. But everything we said now kind of pushed into this year as well, so we don't actually have to talk as much as we normally would in like context of other sets. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, an exciting time to play Magic if you like broken cards. Yeah, this is not a year I would uh, would really be excited to go back and jam through again. We didn't mention it. I I alluded to it earlier. I really think COVID made this all a lot worse. I think it really put a spotlight on Standard and Arena. And I think Arena saved Magic or whatever during this time. I think it would have been really bad for competitive Magic, like worse than it turned out to be if it wasn't for Arena. And I think uh, it put a lot of emphasis on standard when maybe there wouldn't have been as much. And it was not a good standard to handle that pressure. It was, like, really, really bad at handling that pressure. <laughs> and so, just a little fun thing. Yeah, I, we alluded to it earlier. I think uh, that did make the whole experience Yeah, I mean, worse. it just became everyone, instead of being instead of there being people who would just not engage with standard at all, everyone at once was like, well, I want to play standard or draft Ikoria or do something and that something was just play some of the most unplayable standard broken and not fun standard that there was to play which is you know kind of a big problem with magic i remember at the time that was a lot of what people were talking about is like how much of this is like is it actually that they designed something so broken or is it that like everyone's just putting it under a microscope because everyone's playing it once it's like well it's kind of both but also the fact that everyone's mad about it is because everyone's playing it putting it on a microscope and hating it yeah true well thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of constructed criticism you can find me on twitter at mason e clark and every week on card kingdom writing articles over there you can find abe everywhere at more no things m-o-r-e-n-o things thank you we'll see y'all next week for another episode of constructed criticism